Uh, he was the son of a sheik? Yes. Yeah, yeah, son of a sheik. Which sounds like it's a curse. God damn it, you son of a sheik. Arabian nights like Arabian days. Welcome back, Cotter. It's been a long, long time, but this is Pod is Dead, and we are back after a um, over a year hiatus. I think our last episode was in April of 2021, and this is August of 2022. So we're back, though, and with an appropriately titled movie. You want to give us the name of the movie? 3,000 Years of Longing. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Rachel. And we're going to take apart this very interesting and kind of scattered movie directed by George Miller of Mad Max fame. I, I believe you mean of Happy Feet fame. That's true. He's probably better known for Happy Feet than Mad Max. But um, here he is doing his own version of the um, Arabian Nights tales, right? Right. Um, I think it was, I saw it described as an adult Aladdin. Is that what you found? Yeah, that's one of the reviews I read. So we're going to give our own take on that and maybe give some alternate ways that we think we could possibly fix this movie. Not that it needs fixing, but spoiler alert, there's going to be spoilers. I recommend you watch this for yourself and give us your um, honest thoughts and feelings on it. I truly enjoyed the movie it was a good experience but there were just some things that could have been different visually stunning um the writing was actually very good oh yeah the story itself we'll get to that was i think the the most lacking but the writing was actually very good the dialogue between characters the vignettes of stories going back into the past and the visuals are just spectacular before we truly do a dolphin dive into the movie can I can I do you know my my part as producer and you know guide us through? Yep, talk us down. All right, here. Hello again. My talk us down Rachel. from the movie ledge. Okay. Hello, Rachel. <laughs> First, uh, let's catch up our viewers. You guys have been away. We've been away. What have we done since our last podcast? Been living. Been working. Been um, slowly building uh, audio equipment up. We moved. Oh, that's right. That happened in between that, didn't it? The economy is horrible. Some things happened, yeah. We are fatter. Oh, yeah. So much fatter. You're going to hear a lot more heavy breathing on this microphone just because sitting is now a chore. I call it, I'd like to call it the pandemic hundred. <laughs> uh, pandemic 90. Oh, well, yeah. What's going What happened with the pandemic? Uh, you know, it's still raging, but we all just kind of collectively decided to say, fuck it. Or no more of this. I remember myself saying I give the pandemic two weeks and then everything goes back to normal. Uh-huh. It turned into two years. Yeah, and counting. We had we had COVID in the intervening months we here. We did. Oh, my God. I had a fever. I, I was dying. Yeah, it wasn't good. I had a five-day-long headache. It was not good. What is there anything you'd like to say about the, wor- about the world and what it looks like today? Oh, it's a shit show. I mean, you know, the world is, the world is a vampire. 
Um, no, it's it's um, we're living in hell world, and um, it's a uh, it's it's. You ever seen that video of that dumpster filled with trash and it's on fire and it's floating down a flooded street? I haven't. Okay, well that's that's the world <laughs> right now, and we don't know where we're going, but it doesn't really matter because we're a dumpster on fire. There's something kind of beautiful about that. Yeah, in its own smelly way. <laughs> okay, um, have we uh, we've aged? Yeah, we've, by a little bit. We've traveled. Yeah, yeah, actually a lot of travel. Is there any place that you can remember that we've been to that you'd recommend to the viewer listeners? No, because it's been mostly Florida, and I would never recommend Florida to anyone, we went to especially Tennessee. our viewers. We went to Tennessee. Yeah, no, Tennessee's very pretty. Um, it's a fun place to visit. They probably don't have health care or you know running water, but other than that, it's nice. Uh, is there anything you want to let the new or returning listeners know um yes please for the love of god listen to episodes other than the harley quinn one like that wasn't even our best one i don't get it uh, listen to the first one where we you know stumble around uh, around on one another's actually you should skip that one but yeah no why because it's so awkward that's kind of the point uh, they get a feel for who we are if people have a have a fetish for cringe yeah it's all yours my name is alethea my story is true I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. Well, without any more prolonging, uh, here we go. First off, can you give us a quick synopsis of what the movie is? Yeah, I'm going to try to give you a quick rundown just because it's still fresh in my brain and um, I can feel it slowly leaking from my ears the more I try to think about it. So here goes. A woman played by Tilda Swinton is... what's Remind me, what's her job? It's like a... Um, she is a uh, literary professor and researcher. It's like a neurologist or they give it some sort of weird name, don't they? Yeah. The point is she's a lecturer and yeah. uh, she's a university professor. Yep, and her specialty is essentially storytelling, the components of storytelling, um, uh, yeah. myth, myth and uh, Mythology. storytelling. Yeah, yep. human history. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's sort of like the, the, the human trait of passing stories down through generations. And anyway, we're introduced to her and um, she is giving a lecture at one point. She travels to Ist Istanbul, Istanbul, right? Travels to Istanbul for a conference. A conference. A conference. By a colleague. Let me well. Let me take it back. Let me backtrack a little bit. Um, one of the first inciting incidents we see is in the airport when a small, bald man who looks like he's might be on fire <laughs> comes up and tries to steal her baggage or take her baggage or handle her baggage. I'm not quite sure what's going on in that scene. We actually, he was trying to lead her to the. Mysteries of Istanbul, they wait oh, you. Oh, okay. Okay, so it was... Okay, so we'll, we'll get to that, but that sort of makes sense now. We later find out he's a gene. Yeah. But gene being what they call genies. So, um, anyway, she is at the lecture, and it's her and her colleague mm -hmm. talking about how... And I, I thought this is really interesting about how we didn't when we first became sentient we didn't have any way to describe the world around us we didn't have science we didn't have any kind of rigorous methodology to figure out exactly what was going on so we told stories and those stories resulted in mythology and that mythology had gods and monsters 
and redemption and sin and forgiveness. And we passed all those stories down from one generation to the next. But as science came along and started to more rigorously try to explain the world that we lived in, even though science itself was basically just another form of storytelling, but it was a more rigorous way to apply knowledge to the world around us, and that slowly but surely the um, myths of the past and the, the ghosts of the past started to fade. And of course, while she's talking about this, she starts to see a glowing figure in the audience, and I'm never quite sure who he is. If he, Is he supposed to be the djinn? Because if so, he's coming in different forms, right? I think it's just the whole calling of the djinn that... Well, later on in the movie, we find out that the djinn has certain powers he uses to, like, lure people to his bottle. Sure. So they can, you know, discover him and free him from the bottle. So maybe she was being called by literary figures or something like that, or characters from the things that she knew. This is true. He uses, he he makes it special for everyone so they're, you know, like they can't help but find him. So she has a bit of a fainting spell and wakes up and um, ends up, you know, just to kind of skip over some details, ends up in a bazaar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, goes to a place that has all kinds of trinkets. Uh, yeah. Classic setup for the for the Aladdin type of story, right? Well, in Aladdin, they have the you know the Cave of Wonders. Sure. So this is the Cave of Wonders, but in shop form. Yeah, yeah. She says it's how it's you know amazing how this per- she went to this particular shop in this particular place in you know five thousand uh, places to be, and she found the little bottle in the back of the room under all the. A mishmash of things. It's a beautiful um, uh, white and blue striped bottle, or clear and blue striped bottle, I should yeah. say. And she decides that that's the one thing she wants, and takes it back to her hotel room. Yeah. And as she is trying to clean this bottle off, there's a scene where she's trying to wash it off with her electric toothbrush. Although there's a later scene where she's using that toothbrush. I thought that was disgusting. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Because it. Uh, she wanted the bottle because she thought it was interesting how it was uh, ruined by fire. Like, it was all yeah. warped. Yeah, it looked like it was ruined. It, yeah, that's right. It was all, like, kind of melty looking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why she was compelled to wash the bottle. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, rubbed the bottle. And, doing so. And the lid fell off and released the gene. And, and th- you know, this is where some the visuals start to get really interesting, like this beautiful, colorful smoke pours out and mm-hmm. um, it fills up the room next to her. And all we see of the, the, the gin at first is just this, this like, dark golden hand grasping the edge. It's, it's a giant. It's, it's a his giant foot. Hand. That's his foot? That's his foot. Oh, well, I can't tell hands and feet apart, apparently. <laughs> Um, so this foot, she sees his foot sticking in the bathroom. Of course, his foot is the size of the door because when he starts out, he's he's enormous, and eventually he he downsizes and you know becomes the size of I think it's Idris like Elba seven feet. Yeah, I was gonna say almost the size of Idris Elba, but he's definitely like they made him look bigger for yeah. sure. Like he's not that tall. He has like elfy ears. Yeah, and he has like elf elf yeah elf looking ears, kind of pointy. Uh, you know, she kind of honestly kinds of take kinds of kind of takes it in stride. Um, I mean, she is a storyteller. She knows all about mythology. She's obviously someone who leans more toward the science aspect of existence, but 
has apparently kept herself open to imagination and mythology. She's a smart person. And of course, I think anyone would be like, okay, this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. I must be dreaming. Mm -hmm. So she closes her eyes and counts and she realizes this thing's not going away. It's real. I mean, yeah. I mean, she released a genie and now she has to um, make three wishes and it will release him. The, th the trick about the wishes is, though, and he, he you know, delineates the roles. You can't have, you can't make a wish for unlimited wishes. You can't wish for eternal life. Can't wish for immortality. You, yep. You can't um, have someone uh, fall in love with you. And you can't, this might be the rules from Aladdin, but they were similar. You might be thinking of the rules from Aladdin because the, the role of falling in love, that gets a little wonky. Uh, um, no, she, uh, there were. You can't wish for eternal wishes. You uh -huh. can't wish for eternal life. And I can't bring back anyone from the dead. Can't bring back anyone from the dead. Those were the rules. Which is fine. Um, and, and that's that's pretty basic. Uh, but the thing I, I, I never really thought about it because I never really followed this pattern of logic. But like that's the only way he'll be free is you have to actually make the three wishes. And in, right? we learn in every story that everyone made their wishes but the third one never quite comes to fruition right yeah there's always a there's always something tricky that goes on with the third one so um the rest of the movie at this point or, or a lot of the rest of the movie a good portion of the rest of the movie is they're in this hotel room and basically he's telling his story so she's telling the cautionary tales of how she knows she's going to get tricked, how she's not going to be stupid about this, mm -hmm. and how she is trying to figure out, like, his deal. Like, mm -hmm. in short, she's saying, you're a genie, you're going to trick me, I I know all about you, and he's having these reactions where she's saying a couple things that trigger him. Yeah. What was the first one, do you remember? Yeah. She said, like, what if I don't make any wishes at all? Um, and he goes on to tell, you know, stories about why that riles him up. But the other one was, um, what she says, what if I wish I'd never met you? Before we go further into the into the movie, is, are there any other distinctive characters we should let the audience know about? So, I mean, we've got a couple of colleagues, right? Yeah. Um, and they're interesting, but they're kind of nondescript, I guess. Yeah, they, they show up for, like, maybe five minutes. More or less background characters. We have the um. There's the main characters how, of huh? housekeeping, not housekeeping. What what is he? He brings the a butler? tray of food. The butler, yeah. They didn't. I don't think they really mentioned his name. Probably not. But anyway, he was a side character. And what did they say about this hotel that she was staying in? Agatha Christie wrote "Death on the Nile" in there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. cool. Pretty cool hotel. But again, these are all just kind of side characters in the whole story, right? My question to you is. What is your impression of the professor? Of the professor? Yeah. My impression of her changes based on how the movie progresses. At first, I was like, okay, cool. Smart character. Um, not, But not like smart, neurotic kind of smart. Like a little neurotic, but like n normal. And uh, seems to have good relationships with her coworkers. Like, I was glad that they didn't try to make her like this unlikable person who's just so lost in her own you know, business that um, everybody else, whatever, just one of those trips. I'm glad they didn't do that. Like she had a congenial relationship with her coworkers, but she was also very smart and very bright about things that had to do with storytelling and literary tropes and, you know, mythology and human history. She She's just a very literate, highly intelligent person. Yes. With maybe not the best personable skills. Yeah. But... Not, not like a hugely likable character, but it doesn't really matter because for the purpose of the story, that's not really the point. 
I thought it was interesting that she was reading the book, but not like word by word, but line by line. Now, are you thinking, is that a parallel to the one girl that he met who read like that? Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the gene? Yeah. So where we are, where are we at in the story? So he's appeared to her. Yeah. And um, he's finally kind of taken like normal human size. And, you know, he's explaining the three wishes thing. And she's saying, yeah, I know. Like, I, I know how these stories go. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing with these wishes is that, you know, you know, you guys are tricksters. Like these, this, this stuff almost never turns out well. Like there's almost nothing that has to do with a wish and a story that turns out well. Yeah. So she's real apprehensive to make any wish. But the genie, Jean, what are we going to call him, by the way? Can we agree? I'm going to call him Jin. That seems to be what she calls him. The gin. Yeah. Okay. So from now on, gin means genie gin. Mm -hmm. Okay. The gin. Is either that or vodka or whiskey. God damn it. The gin tells her the stories that try to convince her otherwise. He's saying he's a God fearing gin that's. He doesn't. Not... He doesn't do that stuff. He doesn't do yeah. that stuff because he, he wants to like ascend to where the gins go after they grant their wishes and all of history he's been unable to do that and yeah the heavy side layer that's all he wants to do right so now let's start off with the first story you want to talk about the first story what was the first story that was just about that's why i was asking you to talk about it because i'm getting them all mixed up in my head so uh, no it was, it was the um uh, the queen of sheba remember queen of she right yeah queen of sheba and uh, queen of Sheba from the Bible, the queen that Solomon marries. It's mm -hmm. a kind of a big deal. Now, Solomon, I mean, had like a bajillion wives and even more concubines. He had hundreds of wives and like thousands of concubines. The man had a firm grasp on all of the uh, the strange in the kingdom. The jinn says, uh, I can grant you your heart's desire. What is your heart's desire? And she goes on to say, and we, and it's pounded into us that she is a content, happy woman, and she doesn't need anything, so she doesn't need this genie. This is how we get the first story. And that's when he goes into talking about how the Queen of Sheba didn't need anything right. either. Because she, he says that unlike the story that's told in the Bible, where she travels great long distance to see King Solomon to try to be his bride, it was actually the exact opposite, and he traveled a very long way to come woo her. And we have a whole scene that sets that up. He has this like lute mixed with a harp mixed with a drum is crazy it was kind of like a one-man band but like mythical mm -hmm. um to and he starts with music to woo her now now should preface this by saying like um she is the she's the first time that he's ever been like loosed upon the world right the the genie the yeah, gin the gin gin and so she's really kind of like his first love because he keeps describing himself as like an idiot who just follows his heart essentially yeah um and but she's she they portray her like as being a little bit distant from him and he sort of describes her as him just being like a plaything essentially yeah he got trapped because he wanted to be trapped because she was just so beautiful right he was trapped by her beauty he said that she's not beautiful but she was beauty itself yes i like that line mm -hmm. i try to remember that one next time you try to woo the girl <laughs> if i can ever get my fat ass out of this chair which I can't come too fast. So I'm just going to keep making podcasts. So he, King Solomon, he goes on a quest to answer uh, the impossible tasks that he's been 
sat upon by Queen Sheba. Uh, find the red thread in the tomb. Uh, what is my mother's secret name? And tell me what the answer to the question, what is it all women desire? Making a very clear reference to the Mel Gibson movie, What Women Want. Of all the people, Mel Gibson inspired Queen Sheba. He really, he really did. Oh, God. And actually, Mel Gibson was in the original Mad Max, which is your tie-in to this movie because George Miller directed it. Anywho, the Queen Sheba was so impressed by his capacity to fulfill the task that he, she gave himself to uh, the king, and the king knew that the jinn would stand in the way of them being together, so he entrapped the genie with in in a bottle it, with the thread and sent him away to be thrown into the ocean. Yeah, he Christina Aguilera'd her, basically. What? She's a genie in a bottle, baby. You got to rub her the right way. God damn it. So he spends, what did he say, 2,500 years at the bottom of the Red Sea? He spent time in the bottom of the ocean, and then he was caught in the tides, and eventually he was caught in a fishnet. Mm -hmm. And because he spent so much time under so much pressure, a little rock formed around his, you know, bottle lantern, Mm -hmm. and it was built into, the rock was used and built into a wall, and that wall was one day climbed by our the girl of our second story. Um, she was in love with um. It, let's just say the Sultan's son. The Sultan's son. Um, I remember the girl's name was Guten. 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 Hmm. Long black hair. She was uh. She was a slave girl that fell in love with the Sultan's son. Mm-hmm. She climbed over the wall to look at him one day, and her foot. Uh, dislodged the rock that formed around the lantern. Mm-hmm. She took it home, dug it out, and freed the gene. And what was her first wish? She wanted to catch the attention of the Sultan's son. Mm-hmm. She she wanted him to be in love with it. Yes. And so he did his best, and they ended up together. And it was a happily happily ever after. And then that's when the movie ended. Yeah. If I remember correctly. That's exactly right. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. It's been a great time. We'll see you next year. But actually, what happened, Brendan? So let me see if I can reconstruct this just from my memory because, you know, the I, I remember, dementia, dementia has kicked in. Hold on. Let, let me give it a shot. So um, she ends up having a baby, ends up having his baby because that's her second wish, by the way, is for her, which honestly, that feels like a waste of a wish because you're probably going to get pregnant at some point, right? They're definitely doing it. Something else happens before that. Tell me. Well, first she does get the attention, but because... She's stirring up a lot of ruckus being, you know, the uh, slave girl that moved up the ranks and got his attention. The others sort of get jealous and angry. And there starts to be a little bit of a, of a war going on. Not directly caused by her, but because they think the sultan isn't doing his job properly anymore. Right. He has gotten too involved in his poetry. Yes. Yeah. And then his... His concubine, which has also leveled up the ranks and to become his main so, main bitch, side bitch. I don't understand the, the bitch ranking. His main wife. Yeah. Are they married? Maybe it's just implied. You know what? Yes. The, your we'll main, go with it. Your main. Let's pretend that they were wholesome in Christ. Your main what, squeeze. Uh-huh. Main squeeze. So. <laughs> and, becomes and, your wife. So she basically convinces him that his son is actually out plotting to bring him down so he can become the new sultan yes right 
Yes. Right. And then he, long story short, has his son killed. He has his son killed. Uh, leaving leaving the girl in question. To also be executed. This way, all his followers will not oppose the sultan. And the the jinn tries to convince her to make one last wish so she can be in safety and he can be freed. Yes. But she, just in the moment, is like during the headlights, has a really hard, hard time believing that he's dead. She immediately gets whisked away by the, 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 guard. the guards who are going to take her out and kill her. And they do. They put her in a sack and throw her in the ocean. Yep. And he goes out in the ocean, tries to rescue her. Now, something weird happened in between, though. Remember, like, one of the guards was magic, right? Basically... It's the will of the... Abuela? What? <laughs> yeah. The old ways, you know. No, no. Oh, God. It, it's the will of the... This whole thing is a, is a parable about tamale making. What? Yeah, the whole movie. <laughs> oh, my God. There's some, there's some magical abuela out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, all you got to do is make tamales to be happy. The sultan yeah. isn't following the rules. Literally, you just have to make three perfect tamales and you'll get your wish granted <laughs> and be free. And instead, everybody keeps fucking them up because tamales are hard. That's the thing. They, they went into this not realizing just how much work and effort is required. No, God, no. It's the will of the forces that balance out the wish making, like in the genie universe. Okay, we find out later that um, genies are made of electromagnetic waves. Right. Um, it's the counter that the djinn is made of that makes him have a vision that stops him from getting the girl in time. Mm. And actually, they, they kind of use that to, to in jumping forward a, a, a ways. Um, Jinns have a very hard time surviving in modern world because there's so much electromagnetism going back and forth with radio waves and, and cell towers, and et cetera. The djinn um, told the girl to hide the bottle so other people won't use it. Right. But she hid it in a place that would be impossible to find unless you know where to look. Right. And it stayed hidden there for a long time. Actually, we jump a hundred years, mm-hmm. and the next, and the son of the son of the sultan is now uh, in line to rule, mm-hmm. and that's where we get our third story. There, the son of the sultan, um, he goes out to war. He goes, becomes kind of crazy. There's this whole side plot about his brother who is supposed to be taking over the crown, and he is fat and lavished with fat women. He has a fat woman fetish, right? That plays into this. So the whole thing is that. The djinn is trying to uh, find someone else to rub the bottle to free him to grant the wishes so he can ascend. But because the place has been locked away, no one goes in there. Um, And it's when he was a little boy, 11, when he finally was able to catch the attention of him. And he and his brother um, try to find the bottle. But at the last minute, um, their mother comes in and they're like, no, you got to go over here because, right. you, you know, you're next in line. So he goes and he grows up and he becomes this mad conqueror in war. Mm-hmm. And he comes back from war kind of shell-shocked. And he becomes bloodlusty, crazy with power. Yeah, kills people on a whim. Uh, meanwhile, while he's off in war, his little brother is being forced by his mom to make heirs. Yeah. So he, she literally locks him in a room covered in fur and pelts and lavish things mm-hmm. where he does have a bunch of fat concubines 
He believed that the broader the flesh, the more pleasure there was to be had. That makes sense. More mm-hmm. cushion for the cushion. More cushion for everything. By the way, that room would have been great for recording podcasting because it was just, you know, the sound deadening in there would have been it, amazing. It, it's fur. It's fur, yeah. And would have been great. Mm-hmm. A lot of boobs. A lot of boobs. So he comes back from war and he's just crazy. And his mom spends most of his time trying to keep him drunk so he stays docile. And she keeps bringing in storytellers, bringing that theme back in again. Yeah. To keep him entertained so he doesn't go off the deep end and he keeps killing these storytellers. Because they're not entertaining enough. At some point, he wants to kill his younger brother so there's no one to usurp the throne. Mm -hmm. But... She convinces him that he's not a threat because he's just a baby enjoying his baby stuff. Mm-hmm. Baby stuff being a bunch of fat women. <laughs> <laughs> he's like 20 by the time he comes back from war, by the way. Yeah, of course. He's not very old. No, but eventually there is like an old man wizard storyteller that is successful in keeping his attention. But because he is so old, he dies, of course, eventually. Yep. And the prince drinks himself into a stupor after many nights and basically dies of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, and it was funny too because it was right as he was about to go find the bottle again because he finally was able to get his attention again in his yeah. you know, diminished state. But he, of course, he was too weak to even pull, open the latch. To even open the latch to the room. And so he, he dies of alcohol poisoning. Uh, so the fat younger brother takes the throne but because he's been sheltered all his life he doesn't know how to right his mom said he had to be literally dragged to the throne Mm -hmm. so he he was basically a figurehead while his oh my god my favorite character his what was her name favorite concubine named sugar lump Sweet sugar lump. Sugar lump. Sugar lump. Basically made all the dem- democratic rules. Mm-hmm. Democratic? Well, she became like the governor of the the whatever, the region. One day, she while she was wandering the palace, she found the old bathtub pit. Bath pit? I guess you'd call it these days like a jacuzzi or it's hot like a walk-in jacuzzi. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was basically in the ground mm-hmm. of this like nice place where the girl would go. Because she was so fat, the the tub overflowed and it caused her to slip right. on the stone that was loosened and she broke it mm-hmm. and found the bottle. And the bottle was also broken mm-hmm. and the gene was unleashed. But the but sugar lump <laughs> knew better than to make wishes. Yep. Make wishes. So she wished the gene would go back into her bottle and the bottle was at the bottom of the ocean. And he was cast to the bottom of the Red Sea, Mediterranean. This I don't remember which sea this was. It wasn't the Red Sea this time. It was a different one. Point is, he's back in the bottom of the ocean in a bottle, waiting mm-hmm. for another 5,000? No, couldn't have been, because we're already in the, what, the 1600s, I think? He gets dredged back up, though, because now he's in a new bottle. Yeah, actually, we <laughs> uh, it turns out a fish, a large fish, ate his bottle, and while the this new concubine that was bought for this old man Mm -hmm. as the third wife was preparing dinner uh no 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 servant found the bottle Mm -hmm. in the fish and the bottle was given to the new wife she was a bottle collector yeah she loved bottles yeah i mean if i was an old man 
having a 13-year-old wife, mm-hmm. I'd also give her small things to keep her happy. Yeah, you know, you got you got to keep them happy while they're in your basement. Especially if she's the only one you're having sex with. Yeah, that's another movie we should review. Is that 3,096 or whatever it was? Oh, 3,900... 3,096 days. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a sad story. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Sure. Point is... Anyway... You, you gotta keep your prisoners happy if you're taking favors from them. Mm, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Keep them docile. Um, in between the stories, there, the professor and the Gina are talking about what they've learned so far from the stories and mm-hmm. why he's so desperate to grant three wishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hastily tries to make three useless wishes, like I wish I had more cake, I wish I had another sip of tea, and I wish you go, and I'd wish your headache would go. Because at some point the gene is saying, you know, you're tireless. I get you're smart, but I I don't know why do you won't just make your wishes. There's mm-hmm. some there must be something you want. She gets angry from there, and says it has to be your heart's desire. And she goes, well, I wish I never met you. And he has another episode, and he goes, don't say that. You know, I'm beginning to wish we'd never met. No, don't say that. And then he goes on to tell the story of this woman who, of this wife who um, has the new bottle. And like we said before, she's 13. She's being held by this old husband. And she's uh, very smart, Mm -hmm. very angry, but she doesn't know why. Mm -hmm. And she has a lot of cool little inventions. Yeah. She's essentially like the Da Vinci of her uh, time. But, you know, she's a woman where that means nothing. Right. She yep. would, yeah. Uh, so uh, she eventually meets the djinn and she wishes she, for her to have all the knowledge, beautiful and true, mm-hmm. that she can acquire. So the djinn starts getting her all these books and teaching her about philosophy and, you know, history and math. And he thought it was really beautiful and he fell in love with her. The girl is repeatedly um, trying to make a language out of math to be able to explain the universe Mm -hmm. but she can't figure it out because she doesn't she basically can't see electromagnetism she's having to make mathematical guesses about it that's what i got from that is basically he gives her the vision of the jinn so that she can basically see the things around her that make up the universe right well yes yes but what i interpreted is is that because she's just human with a human brain Mm -hmm. she's too tired and her mind can only do so much so Mm -hmm. the genie gives her the power to see what genies do and Mm -hmm. not and she doesn't have to sleep anymore Mm -hmm. because it was said earlier that genes don't have to sleep they don't so she's able to you know work through the night and figure out this equation then and she's basically written a language that's able to solve what it the meaning of life basically yeah it's basically sounds like she's written a unified theory of science that is able to grapple with both uh, relativity einstein's relativity as well as quantum mechanics we find that she's under all this pressure from her husband because she feels trapped by him and of course he's always on her physically and metaphorically Mm -hmm. becomes obsessed with her yeah because apparently when they have sex yeah Yeah. well she has all the she has all the knowledge of the universe so and apparently he can see that when they have sex i guess 
I, I, there was a whole thing where his like eyes warped into his brain. Yeah, it was something. The point is, he keeps asking her if she's happy, and she's bothered that she doesn't know if she's happy because she has all this knowledge. Mm-hmm. But then, what is she supposed to do with it? Because she's all limited. Right. Can I tell you? I I thought for sure her first wish was gonna be, I wish I was a man, because I I was thinking that was the next the next thing. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you, she wants to be taken seriously. She basically made a very small scale version of da vinci's like spiral flying machine. helicopter yeah yeah and she actually got it to work mm-hmm. and i thought for sure like i wish i was a man so i could present these things and they'd be taken seriously mm-hmm. because i think at that point in time she'd be just called like a witch and thrown in the ocean exactly yeah <laughs> uh no instead she's angry and she wishes she had never met the genie mm-hmm. and you know just like that it's her third wish she forgets the genie was ever there so and but the genie also goes back, back in the in bottle, bottle yep. because if they had never met he had never granted the wishes yep at least that's what i interpreted well see she wished that she would forget that she ever met him not that she hadn't met him the a, a difference enough such that she probably retained all the knowledge and everything she had but she didn't attribute it to having a, a gin I, I mean i guess but we don't really know what happens to her after that. I mean, that's the thing. We just, that's the end of the story. Didn't they also imply that at some point she got pregnant with the Jin's baby? Did they? Was that her? Somebody got pregnant with Jin's baby. Point is, at some point, there's a magic baby out there. Sure. Yeah. Maybe that was Aladdin. Who knows? God damn it. <laughs> Maybe that's this a, is the prequel. That's Robin Williams' genie. And this is just the prequel. And that's the last story, isn't it? That's the last, yeah, that's the last major piece of his past. Yeah. From there, he grabs one of her you know beautiful little collector bottles and melts himself into it and you know time happened and then the the professor our professor happens upon the bottle and now this is where the movie takes a turn on its heels this is where the movie got ruined i think yeah i don't know if i would say ruined but to me it's just where the movie split into a different movie that should have had a different beginning we'll get into that do you want to talk about how this movie diverged at this point, the professor has sort of a revelation that there's nothing else she would want except that love the jinn gave endlessly to Queen Sheba mm-hmm. and how the love that the the 13-year-old had for the knowledge and how he loved that she loved the knowledge point is there there's different types of love and uh, she never really had any of that we 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 hear earlier that the professor was married at some point but she had a baby and the baby died is that what happened yeah okay um well i must have been passed out for that part (laughs) yeah she has an ultrasound but i'm guessing she had a miscarriage or something and that caused her husband to leave Hmm. and she never reconnected with anyone again and this is what this this is the part of the movie that pissed me off. The professor suddenly wishes that the gene would fall in love with her. Yeah. And so we're kind of lost me. I thought she would like wish for, you know, all the knowledge or Right. or maybe like take me with you and I can see history. Yeah. for myself. But no, she wishes for, yeah, for the genie to fall in love with her. Which I was kind of surprised by this turn of events because um, 
if if Mad Max Fury, Fury Road was any indication, like George Miller has very like strong like feminist instincts, like um, women as their own independent person who can you know achieve their own story goals without the aid of a man, and this was sort of like a very heavily tropey thing that I would expect in uh, the hands of a much lesser director. I'm just I'm disappointed that like such a fantastic story yeah ended with just woman wants love yeah and this is where honestly i think we can gloss over a lot of the details of of the rest of the story because you know she goes back to london with him you know she takes him in her little glass uh, salt shaker she has to go through an x-ray at the airport and blah 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 anyway this is just the point where the plot doesn't really much matter at this point because you know, she gets back to her flat. We meet her racist old lady neighbors, right? And, you know, he sort of appears and disappears and appears and disappears a couple times. And He has fun discovering what modern, yeah. the modern technology... Like, Mo- modern humans have done, yep. He goes and sees uh, a brain surgery. And he visits the Higgson Collider mm-hmm. and the... Expose Uncle? The, yeah. Or what is it called? The Hadron Collider. Hadron, there we go. Yep. And what is it? The the big satellite. Ah, oh, goddamn. Mm. I've watched too much Big Bang Theory to not know this name. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay. Can't find the name. Point is, he's, you know, impressed with what humans have done in 2,000 years. And he's spending... We don't know how much time they have together in London. Yeah, they kind of skip by i think it's over the course of like a year or something um the gene will follow her to work and he'll and he'll you know see what humanity's done and he reads books and he keeps to himself and we we grazed on this earlier but i think he feels trapped by her because she's not making her third wish yeah and he didn't really have any choice in the whole falling in love thing he's there because not of his own accord Later on, we, she comes home and he, it, he's dying. Basically, mm-hmm. is what they allude to. He's like locked in the, he locked himself in the basement and he, quote unquote, fell asleep. And he's like sort of turned to ash. And she makes her second wish, wish, which is that she wishes him to speak. Yes. Right. And she goes, genes don't sleep. And he, tries to distract her by saying, "We'll, you know, go on a walk and mm-hmm. it'll be great and I'm fine." And that's when she realizes uh, to to make you healthy again, I got to set you free. So right. she makes the wish that I wish you would go back to where you belong. So he stays with her for a little bit, like just overnight. And she falls asleep and the next day he's gone. And then we blank to three years later and she's like just sitting on a park bench and she's writing the book about her experience with the gene and about the stories that he told her. And she's just walking through the park and he appears out of nowhere and walks to her and they hold hands and they walk together off into the sunset and that's the end. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's just fade to black and there's a little bit more there at the end. But at this point, like I said, like none of the, none of this part of the plot really seems to matter that much. It's all just sort of foregone conclusion at that point. Oh, we, we did skip over the park where the gene introduces this like Turkish candy to her in the hotel room and... Mm-hmm. She brings the Turkish candy to the old racist old lady neighbors. Mm-hmm. And they're like, earlier when she was just like in her garden, 
they were saying hello and she was like we're glad you're back you know there's nothing there for you why do you want to go somewhere where you can stay here and improve english yeah it's kind of like the embodiment of a country song why ever leave your backyard because everything you need is right here in the ethnics or scary it's not the way they look it's who they are they are what they believe in Mm -hmm. Uh, but i like that in the night when she they took the candy Mm -hmm. Uh, the gene appears behind her and she's like oh this is my friend and they're both like hello (laughs) (laughs) they don't they don't make idris elba look especially beautiful or different Mm -mm. in this in the movie we see that his nethers are like kind of like pants shorts basically like a mermaid tail yeah he's basically a merman but without the actual tail he has mm-hmm. feet but he, it just looks like scaly mm-hmm. so we don't ever see him naked right um coming back to the moral of the story in the end there the professor says how she shouldn't have wished for the gene to fall in love with me because love can't be asked for it has to be given yeah and that's basically the whole thing of the story yeah what did you like about it what was it a good movie so I'll say that I went into this movie with pretty high expectations because it is a George Miller movie and I really do like, I mean like all the Mad Max movies, but you know, obviously Fury Road is one of the best action movies to come about this century. So not, I was excited for it for a couple of reasons because not only was it George Miller, but also his cinematographer from Mad Max came back as well. Mm. Um, and he, he basically came out of retirement just like he did in, uh, I think it was 2015 for the Mad Max movie. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe it's been that long. So there was a lot to look forward to. And, and I, I will still say I, I'm, I definitely got my money's worth. Like, I'm, I'm happy with the movie, generally speaking. Um, the visuals were fantastic. The writing was very good. The writing was very good. Like The script was very smart. Yes. Like, it did not try to pander to, and I'm going to be just say it, it didn't try to pander to a Marvel audience, right? Mm-hmm. It didn't try to go, like... Um, middle school writing it it did well it was it was literary it was even a little poetic in places um i liked that i liked i liked i definitely liked the build-up to the story you know and i loved the the recall scenes where he's talking about his past i mean that was a good chunk of the movie right there yeah visually um, it was amazing and and the story the, the the backstories were really interesting really interesting and really interestingly developed and I loved all of that. And then, you know, like we were talking about, there's that pivot point where she just really kind of breaks character because her character is is actually kind of interesting because it, it kind of breaks some of the normal tropes you usually get with like a smart, nerdy, kind of nerdy woman, you know, professorial, maybe I should say. Mm-hmm. And it just breaks some of the tropes because like I said, she's like, she's she seems to be, you know, well-liked by her coworkers, uh, by her colleagues. She's very well put together. Yeah, she's, she's well put together. She doesn't really have any major, like, issues. She's, like she says, she's content with her life. And she's happy to be alone because she found that, you know, her own brain keeps her occupied. The thing is this, I cannot for the life of me summon up one eligible wish. And you're asking me for three. Is there any life in you? Are you even alive? You know, in some cultures, absence of desire means enlightenment. Then you are a pious fool. If I'm content, why tempt fate? And you're a coward. Don't goad me. And I like that a lot. I don't think we see enough of that. I think way too often we see a woman's needs are unfulfilled 
I mean, basically until she has a man, right? Mm -hmm. a, a woman is not complete unless she has a child or a man or a man and a child or a man child, you know? <laughs> and, and this movie kind of then just does that. It basically just says, oh gosh, you know what? I guess I really have been missing true love in all my life. And I guess I'll take you, um, random black dude who just showed up in my apartment not too long ago. No offense. I, I love Idris Elba. He's not a random black dude. But you know what I mean? Like, he, he, this, is, this is a guy who you just met a few hours ago. He tells some fantastic stories. I know he's a gin. That's cool and all. But, like, this is not her personality at all. It doesn't fit. And talk about that age gap. It, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 3,000 years of robbing the cradle, am I right? So, it, no, I, I, the, the movie um, dunked on itself too early, too hard. Um, it took a pivot into kind of more tropey Hollywood type garbage that it just wasn't built up to be. And it kind of, now, I don't know this at all, but it kind of made me feel like it was one of those things that maybe was different. And then some Hollywood executives saw it and were like, no, 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 we need this to end with her falling in love with the gin. Maybe that was fought over for a while. I don't know. I feel like George Miller would have more cachet than that. Because George Miller and someone else, I don't remember the other guy's name, but they wrote the movie together. Um, so he, you know, he helped write it. It's, it's part of his vision, right? Would you watch this movie again? Yes. And if you would, what's something you would uh, tell someone, like, you're bringing, to, like, okay, watch for this? Um, well, definitely watch for the visuals and watch it on a big screen. It is definitely, George Miller had a little intro at the beginning of the movie. Like, it was basically saying thank you for coming to the theater because this movie was made for the big screen, right? Mm -hmm. And it was. It definitely was. It was a movie that um, you should see in a theater or on the largest screen you can find with great audio. I mean, it's it's a fantastic visual experience. Um, th things, un very unexpected things keep happening visually, and I love that. What was that war movie we saw? Oh, 1917? Yes. Yeah, that was another one. That's another movie made for the big screen. Just spectacular. The story's kind of blah. The story's just whatever. It's, it's fine. It's like a it's kind of a little bit of a redemptive story. Guy's trying to save some people by having, you know, war not happen, basically. Um, but 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 the journey is is mostly in the visuals. The cinematography is just, just, just a feast for the eyes. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. There are a few movies that you can say, okay, this was made for the cinema. And this is one of those movies. This is, this is definitely one of those movies. It's very rich. It's it's um, visually rich. It reminds me somewhat of a, um, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on the name. He made Hellboy 2. Um, he made the, the Fish Sex Lady movie. Uh, the Shape of Water? Yeah. Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. The visuals reminded me a lot of movies directed by Guillermo del Toro. Um, thinking especially to like Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Um, just really spectacular, rich. Feels like you're being set in the time piece and the storytelling actually is really good in those in those places. And that's why it's such a big disappointment to have this. I, I think I described it to you as like, it was sort of like two movies laid on top of each other. The one movie that had this beginning the one movie that was that started out is the movie where um she re retains her personality because it's it's a focus on loneliness it's a focus on it should be a focus on loneliness on the acceptance of loneliness on how you know some humans are made for other humans and some are not on how um you can have your own mind and your own intellect you know sometimes is your your partner and how 
I think I told you, like, I thought it would have been really interesting if they had basically, like, said, hey, the, the djinn wants to be free. Um, she wants a, a... To be alone. She wants a lifetime of aloneness and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And why don't they switch places? Can't, yeah, can't yeah, something yeah, yeah. happen like that, you know? Okay, here's where my next question comes in. What would you want to change about the movie? Well, here, here again, though, is this. Here's this. Here's the second movie, right? Again, this feels like two halves of two different movies spliced with the wrong beginning and the wrong end. So that's the first movie. The first movie is tongue in cheek, quick witted. It's all about storytelling, literature, the arts, loneliness, existentialism. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And you know you can tinker the ending to how you want, but the general idea is that you can be content the way that she is. She really, the Jin has finally met someone who does not have internal longing for anything, mm -hmm. and that's his. That's the first time for him. Okay, but this the other movie, the the movie in the second half of how it ended, where you know she decides after all these stories, like oh, I fall in love with you, or. I want you to love me back. Um, I want to be with you forever. Okay, that was a totally different beginning, right? That should have a totally different beginning. That should have a beginning where it's a woman who, uh, let's say, uh, pines for uh, belonging, pines for um, companionship, and is just like goes through life is rejected by those she knows, and like, you know can't can't find love, or once she does, he he's not who he seems to be. Blah blah blah. Right? Like she's rejected the idea that she needs someone because she's just convinced herself that she doesn't. Need right. Someone. Exactly. But but she has actually spent a good chunk of her life trying to pursue companionship and and love, and has not found it, mm -hmm. and. That, that's when the djinn comes that's in. when the djinn shows up that's when she's like well you know what i'm going to use one of my wishes to never be alone again um i want to have that love that you gave to these other women i want to be that woman that would make way more sense for that kind of character to say and then you can go on with the rest of the movie you don't have to make too many changes but then then she her ultimate character arc would be she realizes that all the electromagnetic of the modern era is killing him and she has made a selfish decision by making him stay and so she makes the ultimate sacrifice of letting him go right yes it, great classic and fade to black and you know we'll we'll meet again someday okay mm -hmm. that's the second movie but not splitting again it's like you took these two movies you cut them in half and then you spliced the the ones ending to the others beginning yeah. They really, really Cronenberg this. Um, I told you earlier while we were in the car how I wished it would have been about like a not so smart woman who's like down on her luck, you know, she divorced or whatever, and she meets the gin, like maybe as a gift, um, like the bottle came to her as a gift, and she immediately wishes, you know. I wish for wealth, I wish for love, I wish for revenge yeah. or, or something that were like very, very impulsive wishes. And then the genie's like, hold up, let me tell you these stories yeah. and then make a wish. Then you make your decisions. Yeah. yeah. And then she, like after the stories, she's like had a change of heart mm -hmm. and she wishes for more sensible things. Yeah. And that would made sense to me. It's a kind of a subversion of the trope a little bit. I, I just, as much as I liked the movie for all the other elements it, it really disappointed me yeah that, that was that was um that was just an unfortunate 
I'm going to say second half of the movie, but it probably happened in the last like third of the movie because the movie seemed long, even though it wasn't. It was about an hour and 50 minute runtime. You know something? Um, I'm having this revelation that it's like eating gold. Uh-huh. You ever eat gold flake? Uh, I've had gold schlager. <laughs> it's got gold in it. Okay, yeah. Okay, close enough. Point is, when it, it's beautiful to look at, it makes the whatever you're eating, drinking look pretty. But after it's in, it just stays that way, and it just comes out as gold poop. And and there's like no point to it either. There's I mean, no flavor. There's no substance. Yeah. No. And this is kind of what this movie is. Yeah. It's really beautiful, you know, it's very visually pleasing. It's, you know, you can say, oh, I ate gold. But then in the end, it kind of ruins itself. Another another thing I was thinking about here just a minute ago is one of the things that it explores is how, you know, like we said, like the, the mythologies of our past have faded into the background as, you know, science has taken precedent as the means of storytelling, right? That the old means of storytelling has gotten replaced with, you know, scientific rigor. And how, you know, and I thought that was a really interesting allusion that they made to like gins being essentially made of electricity or electromagnetism, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like they really, they, they just literally can't survive in today's world because we've replaced the magic we, we've taken it we've taken the magic layer and we've turned it into our own devices we've turned it into our own entertainment mm-hmm. we've and explore that you know m- m- again i really wouldn't change a whole lot about the first half of the movie no um up to the point where she makes her first wish i, I don't think i would change a whole lot at all i thought it was really good i really liked where it was going and i like the pacing and i like the characters and i like the things that it was trying to talk about mm-hmm. which are things that are usually go usually movies only brush over the surface of some of these things i loved getting into like um art art criticism and literary criticism and how you know stories have paved the way for human civilization to even be what it is humans would we would not have survived as a species had it not been for the stories that we passed down from one generation to the next i would love for them to have followed up on that and made that the central theme of the movie because what a fantastic ending you could have had as the story of stories in and of itself wraps wraps up with its own ending that would have been sort of like an ending within an ending, you know, like the story, the never-ending story, right? <laughs> you know, except without the magic parole back dog thing. Or the drowning horse. Or the drowning horse, you know. Sorry about that, kids. Sorry, yeah. But. But it didn't. But it didn't. It, it picked those up. And it was a very interesting thing to, it was a very interesting thread to pull on. It pulled on him for a little bit, tugged at it, and then just kind of veered off into Hollywood, just stock plot. It just pulled right off the shelf. How, okay, well, basically you answered this question on what do you think the message was? How would you interpret the movie? But how about this? Um, Does the movie make you think, what does it make you think about? Well, it started to make me think about some very interesting things. It started to make me think about, you know, like like I said, like how how um, how we have used how how important art is essentially, right? I thought it was a very interesting thing at the very beginning of the movie that they actually translated the letters on the MGM logo, that gold ribbon that goes around the lion. They actually translated it briefly, mm-hmm. and it's art for art's sake, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, and I would have loved, and, and that's what it sort of was making me think about. Like, you know, we we do art 
because we're human. It is part of our innate nature. We write stories because we're human. We paint paintings because that is our expression of humanism. You know, those were the things it was making me think about. It was pulling on that thread, which is sort of existential, but it's kind of like a hopeful existentialism. You know, it's it's deep thoughts about about life and about, you know, human existence. But with with the with the positive twist of like, yes, humans are garbage and, you know, we we can treat each other like absolute garbage. But there is this like silver lining of beauty that we keep pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward throughout each generation. Right. To, to me, um, what you were saying about humans are garbage, yeah, but at least like, we get a good story from it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, our best, that's our best output, really. That's our best product is stories. And so it's, stories are the only thing that actually end up surviving um, one generation to the next. Yeah. Nothing else. Everything else crumbles. Because, you know, war and famine and disease yeah. and... And, and it could have been a nice, like, meta-narrative about how these stories, like the story that we're telling you now, these stories are the things that live on, right? No one's going to be listening to our stories 3,000 years from no, now. No, everything else crumbles but the stories. And we do have stories from 3,000 years ago, though. That's the I, thing. I mean this. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like, like how how essentially uh, it's a... It's a, it's a movie that could have been about how important art is how important history is his, how important it is to tell stories through movies through books through whatever means it be how important it is that we keep doing that because that is the the essence of our existence yeah. right one of one of the things i really liked um that they talked about was uh, her and the gin was if there is no one around for you to share your existence with, or if there is no one around to be aware of your existence, do you even exist? It's a tree falling in the woods problem. It's but the, for humanism. It's the problem with Instagram is if you if if you don't take a picture of your designer pancakes, did you even eat them? <laughs> but I mean, for real though, like what is is there? I mean, I'm not saying that people can't enjoy things on their own without anyone knowing, but like there for a lot of things for a lot of people there is no there is no joy without observation right it's why people more often than not prefer to go to the movies with someone else or prefer to have a meal with someone else you know prefer to share part of their life whether that be being married to somebody or just having friends you know having coworkers sharing your life story with other people and them sharing it with you otherwise you might feel like you don't exist that sense of being is escaping and that's the cool thing he could have explored with a jinn who's stuck at the bottom of an ocean for 2500 years with nothing but himself he talked about how he would just like pray and replay stories in his mind over and over again for all that time yeah and how it was just like so lonely but it, he knows it didn't matter because he's immortal it's a movie that had great ambitions and could have done a lot more with what it had and just sort of it was like it was like a chariot running a race and just kind of got to the middle of the race dropped the reins left the chariot walked off the field it really fell on its face yeah it's too bad it's, otherwise it would have been just really enjoyable even in the second half there were very beautiful moments of storytelling right yeah there was some very good there was some very good writing in the second half it's i'm not trying to say the second half was garbage i'm just saying the second half was a different movie with a with di that should have had different characters and a different beginning totally different movie they allude to the jinn coming back every so often during the professor's lifetime yeah. to visit her 
so she wouldn't be so lonely. But that's really, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's what's what's the phrase? There's no melancholy in it. Small small solace. Yeah, small comfort. Yeah, like cold comfort. Basically, like I'm glad she's not lonely, but it's not what the audience deserved. Well, it's sort of like it almost gave her a deficit where she didn't have before because she wasn't really lonely before, you know? Yeah. And would have been just fine without him. So where did her story arc really change? Where did, where did, where was her arc? Maybe that she doesn't have to be alone. I mean, I guess, but she's in love with a djinn who's immortal and she'll maybe see once or twice before she dies. What was the moral of the story? I don't know. I don't know. And that's part of the problem. How would you say this story affects how you live? It doesn't. Um, give me your final thoughts and feelings on this movie. Final thoughts and feelings. Um, I think right now Rotten Tomatoes gives it about a 70%. Which is fair. I think it's fair. I might give it a 75. Um, I, I still liked it. I, 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 I would still recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. Because I know people are going to have different thoughts and opinions on it. It's a good experience. Yeah, and people might take away different things than we did. You know, people might watch this movie and say, actually, no, that did make sense for the character. I totally got it. Um, but it, it, the thing I liked most about it is that it is just different. And a sea of sameness that we have right now, which is just the same. I don't mean to be an old man, but it's just it's it's so much superhero stuff. So much everybody being caught in like the current narrative of the day you know it's all that it all just feels very samey it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of um invention out there and this movie was if not if nothing else inventive it 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 had deep thoughts about things even if they went nowhere it had ambition even if it couldn't live up to its ambition it it tried something it really did try something here which, I mean, it's it's the reason we brought this podcast back, right? After hiatus. We thought it was compelling enough for us to share. Yeah. So, absolutely, I 100% recommend this movie for people to watch. However, yeah, it, it has... It, it was already on kind of um, fragile ground or unsteady ground when it started out. And by the time it got to that pivot point in the middle, the ground just sort of started to, to slip away and it sort of fell into its own you know abyss i would also recommend the movie if anything just for the ride it's a good ride it's a great ride yeah it's a beautiful ride, ride. yeah <laughs> now that i have lived a lifetime's worth of days finally i see the folly of my ways so listen when i sing the temptations of this world Fancy cars and needles Whiskey, flesh and pearls And then in the end It's family Is there anything else you want to tell the listener before we sign off? Well, to the 13 people who downloaded um, our episodes in the last week, first of all, wow, you found an you found a dead podcast pretty much and revived it so thank you it's like uh, you weakened at bernie's us <laughs> you weakened at bernie's us um and i'm actually kind of excited to start doing this again because um well now we have better audio recording equipment so that's something oh yeah i we're finally not like smashing our faces into each other we have like sort of a quasi studio almost so yeah 
and I actually have like the stuff I can use to actually produce this this thing correctly, like to actually like edit it and you know good yeah. times. So anyway, uh, uh, listen for more because we'll, we promise we'll get better at this as we go. It's been a while; we're a little rusty. I'm gonna get his lazy ass to do things. Yeah, it's just you know doing things is it's hard. It's hard. It's oh like, my god! Like I had to put socks on today before we went to the movie, and it was just like, oh my god, I'm putting on <laughs> socks for this movie. It better be worth it. You know. Oh God. Okay. Well. What about you? Uh, what What's your I... final takeaways? Okay. Um, I was pleased with the movie. I wish it wasn't "Woman Falls in Love." Yeah, that was really disappointing. It was, but um, if anything, if you watch this movie, enjoy what you take away from it at least, because it's worth it. Honestly, yeah. In the middle there, I was feeling really really melancholy, pretty angry, really happy. And it made me reflect about a couple things in my life. And I, um, you know, if you're a fan of, you know, the big screen, this is the movie for you. Absolutely. A... There's not a lot uh, in theaters to watch right now. No. But this is one of the good ones. Absolutely. This is a gem. Yeah, absolutely. It is a gem. Despite all of its flaws, it's still a gem. Um, I wish they had done something different with it, but... I know we just spoiled the entirety of the movie here, but <laughs> but go watch it. It's a treat for the eyes. Yep. And, you know, get get some popcorn. Definitely get some popcorn. Get a slushy. Yeah. And if you ever find a little glass vase, take it home with you. You never know what comes of it. Wash it with your toothbrush. Yeah. The electric kind. Okay. And now, thank you so much. This was Pod is Dead. Find us on Twitter at pod underscore dead tweet at us tell us everything you liked and didn't like if you happen to watch this movie tell us all your thoughts on god give us all your thoughts and feelings let us know what we can possibly do a podcast on if you have any opinions what do we have coming up next well i don't know um this was sort of a spur of the moment recording so we're going to have to think about that. How about we do a heavy episode that about 3,096 days? Oh, yeah. We'll do the fun um, German sex bunker story. We could do that. Yeah, cool. Exciting. Really loved that movie. Thank you so much for listening. This is Rachel and... Brendan. Thank you very much, and we will see you later. Bye. Bye. I have a wish. <laughs>